Hi, and welcome to the Reef Roundup podcast, where we dive into marine conservation stories from around the world. We're your hosts. I'm Graham. And I'm Tamara, and we can't wait to dive into this episode. Join us and meet some of the many amazing people who are doing exciting work to save the ocean for future generations, with a focus on restoration, ecology, and environment. We hope today's show is a wake-up call, but also brings you both hope and inspiration as you learn about the amazing work that's being done and how you too can be an ocean champion. Let's get started. Just a quick note before we get started. Usually when we are putting out our episodes, we have you know, a few days at least, um, usually about a week to edit the episodes, cut out all the M's, tighten it up, etc. Because we're reporting live right now from the conference in Marseille, France, the IUCN conference, we don't have time to do that. The days start literally at 8 a.m. and go till around 9 p.m. at night, which is, you know, things going on constantly. So we're just putting out the raw content to you just wanted to give you a heads up so that you're if you're if you're hearing you know you're like Graham you say the word um sometimes yes unfortunately I do uh we will make sure to get back to again our crystal clear uh content once we are no longer reporting live or we have just a little bit more breathing space when the conference um uh you know starts starts to be have have days that are a little less full than they are right now at the beginning of it so thank you for understanding and let's get started hello and welcome to the next episode of the reef roundup podcast very excited to be reporting to you from Marseille, France, from the IUCN World Conservation Congress. If you haven't listened to our last episode, please check it out. It's going to give you a lot of information about why we're here, what we're doing, what this conference is all about. Uh, so yeah, check that out first. Use it as a starting point and then and then join us back here. If you've already listened to the last episode, thank you for being a loyal listener. Um, so what I'm going to do today is just give you a brief overview of everything that's happened in pretty much the last 24 hours. Well, really the last 48 hours. I'm going to be going through things pretty quickly just because there's so much content, like literally this conference starts at 8 a.m., goes till about 7 or 8 at night, uh, depending on the day. And it's packed full of content from morning till night. Many times there are literally, you know, three to five different sessions that I would die to be in at any one time. So it's like kind of like you're filtering through all the content and trying to decide like, oh my gosh, I want to go here, but I want to go here, but I want to go here. And in the end, I I know that I'm missing a lot of like valuable sessions. Sometimes it's almost like you're rolling the dice and you're just hoping that, that you found um, a good one. So I, I have 
been absorbing a lot of content in my brain, which I am excited to tell you. But if I just chatted endlessly about all the things I've been thinking about and, you know, things outside of my experience, then it would take, you know, an entire day to report back <laughs> everything that it took me an entire day to live. So again, um, if you have any questions that come up as you're going through this, I'm going to try to list people's names uh, so you can go and check them out. I'm going to try to list uh, websites if that is applicable. So again, you can go and follow up on those. But uh, I'm going to try to go through the content relatively quickly. So I've laid out a plan, a structure. So I just want to let you know what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at the conference as a whole giving you some of my initial impressions. We're going to be going over some vocabulary to know, uh, slash acronyms to know. There's been a lot of different words and language used that I myself am not familiar with. I myself, yes. Uh, the, the, the esteemed uh, conservation, <laughs> marine conservation person. No, I mean, like, part of the reason we're doing this podcast, right, is because... We're Tamara and I, my co-host Tamara and I, are having so much fun. We care about this. We care about the ocean, but we don't know everything. So we're learning along with you. So please, like, know that um, when we go over things like vocabulary, I know some people in the audience will be like, "Why are you explaining this to me? I already know that." But just please keep in mind that I don't know it, and there's probably other members of our audience that don't know. So. Uh, stick with us through that. I think it's, you know, it's it's just going to be brief little descriptions. Then I'm going to look a little bit at the UN goal 14. This is the goal for 2030 that the United Nations is working towards, different member countries that signed on to this agreement are working towards. And basically, this is the goal that's focused on the ocean. So this is the one that we, you know, at Reef, Roundup and Reef Scuba really care about. So just going to do a brief overview of that. UN Goal 14. I'm going to tell you a little bit about a few of the sessions I attended that I really love that stood out to me. I'm going to share a couple quotes with you from those sessions. And then I'm going to give you kind of like an overall little roundup as well as tell you about highlights from the conference tomorrow that I'm looking forward to. So let's get started. So, so far, the conference kicked off with kind of like an evening on Friday of a welcoming event. The President uh, Macron, the, the, the president of Fran France, sorry, uh, he was there to do the opening speech to welcome everyone. He spoke for a really long time, actually, and uh, just reiterated France's commitment to the ocean. France, which I didn't really know this previously, is not seen in Europe as a very good steward of the ocean. Actually, they in Spain are kind of seen as uh, maybe lagging behind some of the other countries. I mean, obviously, this is partly because they do both have a lot of ocean territory as 
former colonizer countries, they have not only their own territory along the ocean, but a lot of territories that are islands um, or countries that they still have strong relationships with across the world. So uh, when there's a lot of sea to manage, there's a lot of sea to also not manage well. Um, so that's that's a factor, of course, but still uh, that leaves a lot of room for improvement. Um, anyway, he, he, he gave some really mm, a, a powerful speech, I would say, but uh, I have heard feedback that, you know, that everyone's kind of been saying, well, let's see how it turns out though. Like, are they actually going to do what they say they're going to do? So again, I'm, I'm right in this, uh, this seat, learning about these things with you and uh, but we'll be following up definitely on this podcast and letting you know, yeah, did the wheel hit the road, so to speak, uh, with, with these commitments? All right. Uh, another just kind of like random thing that happened at the opening was Harrison Ford, the actor, Indiana Jones, was there and gave a pretty rousing and powerful presentation, which was, you know, kind of cool. I, I love Indiana Jones, so it's uh, <laughs> it was neat to, to see him and you know, learn that he is actually not only a friend of the French president, but a, a big uh, ocean and environmental advocate. Uh, so then on to just like the conference as a whole. Like I said, it's hard to decide at any time where to go. I kind of, the, the closest thing I can relate it to is like when you go to a music festival and you have like multiple stages and there's like two of your three or four of your favorite bands all playing at once. And you're kind of having to like constantly like run around to stage to stage and, and keep track of what's going on. And you're always feeling like a little like you're missing out. And should I leave this stage and go to another one? So that's been an interesting uh, sensation to have. Um, especially after COVID has shut things down for so long. Um, what else? Oh, there's so much. There's a lot of just like demonstration stands and so much virtual reality going on. So like every corner you look around, it seems like you see another big group of like, you know, 20 or 30 people all with virtual reality headsets on all like staring around at whatever it might be. I still haven't, I still haven't waited in line to do one of them, but I think a lot of uh, environmental nonprofits are, you know, taking advantage of the fact that this new technology allows people to feel like they're, you know, in the space where uh, nature is is playing out in a way that maybe we don't have daily access to. So that's kind of cool um, and interesting. And then just another kind of super random thing, but I, I I thought it was worth sharing. Because I think this is like, you know, as conferences go, I'd never seen this, uh, at least on this level. So this conference, like you'll have a giant hall, right? I mean, there's maybe, I think there's nine actually giant halls. And you'll have, though, in each of those halls, multiple stages, like maybe like 20 stages or something in, in the biggest ones. And you walk in and you'd think, right, there's going to be, it's going to be so loud. There's 20 stages, like all in the same room, giant room, of course, but still 
there's going to be like everyone's on, you know, speakers and it's all conflicting and it sounds like, but you walk in and actually it's so silent. It almost seems weird. You're like, am I in the right place? But then you realize they're using this technology where everyone's wearing headphones and you can only hear the speaker at the stage that you're sitting at. So you're literally can be sitting next to, you can have two giant stages placed right next to each other. And every, like the people on the stage are like barely whispering, right? It sounds like a library. And yet everyone has headphones on and they're hearing the content from whichever uh, topic they're interested in. So again, just maybe people are going to conferences a lot more often than I am. I've seen this before, but I think it's relatively new um, to use on this, this kind of scale. So that, that was really interesting. And yeah, so that wraps up the conference overview. For vocabulary, I'm just going to dive into a few different terms and, and acronyms. Uh, the first one is MPA. So this is something that I'm hearing a hundred times a day. MPA, it stands for Marine Protected Area. In the UN goal, in the UN goals period, right? Not just the 14 focus on the ocean, but the UN goals period, there is basically a focus on by 2030 protecting 20 or sorry, protecting 30% of terrestrial, so land-based um, areas, and also protecting 30% of ocean-based areas that countries manage. So really big goals because from where we are right now, it requires big gains in order to get there. But I'm going to dive into this a little bit more later. Uh, I, I, won't, I won't talk too much about it right now because I will cover that later. So, uh, But just, yeah, MPA, Marine Protected Area. Uh, the second term is paper parks. So this also refers to what we're talking about, what I was talking about before with the Marine Protected Area. So this is basically... Um, so a country, say, commits, they sign up with the United Nations and say, we commit to protecting 30% of our oceans. And so what do they do? Like, there's not really an international standard for what a marine protected area means. Literally, some of them mean almost nothing. Uh, some of them allow all sorts of destructive fishing they allow mining. Like, I mean, it's like, why are we even calling this a marine protected area? Like, what is there anything that you don't allow? Other ones, on the other hand, are like incredibly well managed, um, very thoughtfully laid out, and very well regulated. Well, <laughs> I, I still haven't heard of an example that's all of those, but uh, that's at least what the aim is, right? And so paper parks is a term that you'll hear a lot as well. This is when people are saying it's a park, it's a marine protected area, but in name only, right? Like it doesn't actually mean anything. It's just they agreed to the commitment. They wrote some sort of like law that got signed in saying, yeah, we have a new marine protected area and you can do whatever you want on it, but we're calling it a marine protected area. And so it, you know, by some standards would count. 
Um, however, is is the outcome actually generating the you know the 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 consequences that we would hope? And you know, in some cases, the answer is no. With these quote unquote paper parks, another term is eutrophication. Eutrophication which I hope I'm saying correctly. I, I, you know, if there's some marine scientists out there who want to correct my pronunciation, please do. Uh, so eutrophication, this is when uh, nutrients pour into uh, marine systems or estuaries or coastal waters, and usually they come in the form of either fertilizer, which is, you know, runoff, uh, from farming or else from human waste, which uh, has, you know, nutritional value for uh, different algae and seaweed and, and, and such. And so these runoffs reach the ocean and they result in an overgrowth of plant life. Uh, the overgrowth of plant life then sucks a lot of oxygen out of the water when that plant life goes through its natural life cycle and dies and decomposes. And there are many areas now which are considered dead zones where fish literally, uh, crustaceans, like all, all the things you usually see in a sea area cannot live because the level of oxygen in the water is so low. Classic example is in New Orleans. Uh, my 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 most recent home, <laughs> and yeah, you can. I'd encourage you actually if you've never seen the the maps uh, which show the dead zone around the base of the Mississippi. Take a look at it. It's shocking. It's a giant giant area which basically is just the Mississippi's pouring out with. Yes, all the sediment and stuff, but also with all of that nutrients that are coming down from farms across America and creating this giant dead zone where everything that is in there is is not alive for, you know, variety of factors, pollution, etc., but also because of these um, algae blooms. Another example would be if you've if you've been to the Yucatan Peninsula anytime recently, you've probably experienced these like giant you know sargasso seaweed uh, piles on beaches all over the place, and a lot of that has to do with actually uh, crop production and stuff in Brazil. They've they've shown where there's all this again fertilizer running out into the ocean sea currents pull it up to Mexico, all that seaweed grows in the ocean and then, you know, gets washed onto the beaches. So just really um, interesting stuff. That, again, the term is eutrophication. Uh, then we're going on to a term called least developing countries. So we've all heard of developing countries and least developing countries was new to me though. This is made up of 46 countries and basically cuts out a few of the countries that are typically considered as developing countries. 
Um, the primary ones that I noticed would be India and China are not part of this least developing countries list. This, you know, allows, allows people who are doing work um, in the environment in these different areas to kind of create a bigger distinction um, between countries that might still be developing, but they also have quite a lot of resources and a lot of money and a lot of ability to make some changes on their own versus countries that are very much on the lower end of the developing um, status and which still might need a lot of outside assistance um, in a variety of forms. So again, least developing countries is the term. And finally, MSY, another acronym, which stands for Maximum Sustainable Yield. I'm not going to go deep into this right now because it is a little confusing and it's easier to understand with some charts and graphs. But basically this is when you're looking at fishing, you're trying to find um, theoretically the point at which you can take fish, but you're not impacting the fishing population, it's not declining year after year, it's staying steady. So it's just kind of like, again, like a little theoretical, but also something that organizations and countries and NGOs are, are, are trying to uh, figure out um, what, what this is for different fish, you know, and ocean populations. Uh, MSY, the maximum sustainable yield, and then trying to institute ways that we can stay within that. All right, next up, we have our UN goal number 14. So the UN goal 14 is to conserve and sustainably use the oceans, seas, and marine resources for sustainable development. United Nations declared that a decade of ocean science for sustainable development would be held from 2001 to 2030. This decade will provide a common framework to ensure that ocean science can fully support countries to achieve the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, which again is reaching that goal of protecting 30%. Um, these would be you know, things like the Marine Protected Areas, the MPAs, protecting 30% of the ocean in countries that have signed on to this agreement. So just a little bit of background, uh, when we look at these goals that the UN has set, they are considered relatively ambitious, but they like for them to be plausible and possible because you know, th th this is what countries are committing to work towards, right? And if they're so impossible that they're, you know, like, uh, just a dream, then, you know, it, it's going to be hard for countries to commit to this, but they are set, they are considered, you know, to be something that could be achievable with a lot of effort and work. However, as a little background, um, the, the last goals that were set, literally none of them were met. None of them. Um, some came relatively close, but none of them were met. Um, with the ocean, again, I have been talking to a lot of people who are much more knowledgeable than I am and have been working in this area for their entire careers. 
And what I'm hearing is that the UN goal 14 with the 30% is a long shot. Like it's, it's unless we get a lot of these paper parks, it's really unlikely that we're going to see this come to fruition, which is sad, of course, right? We, none of us want to hear that, but it's also, um, seems to be something that countries are trying to do. So, you know, more, more on that, more on that later. Uh, all right. So now diving into sessions. So I'm going to highlight three sessions that I went to and just give you a little brief overview of each of them. The first session was, um, hosted by an NGO called shark project which does amazing work uh, across the world to help save shark species. Um, many of you may remember from one of our previous episodes that it is not only estimated, but pretty much, you know, uh, well proven that 90 million sharks are killed each year by humans. Um, so, so sad. Like for anyone who's been scuba diving with sharks, like they're just such beautiful, magnificent creatures. Less than a month ago, I was diving in Mexico with bull sharks and it's just magical. Uh, they are not these like, they're not jaws, right? They, they, they get that rap, but you know, again, like most years there's in the range of 10 to 20 people killed by sharks in the entire world. A lot of them who look like seals or dressed, you know, like in attire that looks like seals and get mistaken as seals by sharks who, you know, many species often start out quite low in the water and then find their prey above them and then just kind of shoot up to the surface and uh grab what they assume is a seal because, you know, a human in a wetsuit looks like a seal and, you know, seal is one of their favorite, uh, foods in many, in many places and, you know, with many species. So again, 10 to 20 in the entire world, you know, we all know the statistics from COVID we're talking just like the tiniest fraction, almost people die in larger numbers from almost everything else than, than, than sharks. And yet we're killing 90 million. So yeah, definitely, you know, as they say, like sharks should be much more fearful of us than we of them. Um, okay. So the interesting takeaways for me from this presentation were, and, and there's actually, I I'm, I'm, I'm hoping actually, to bring on the presenter, really amazing woman. Her name is Dr. Iris Zeigler. I hope I'm saying that right. Dr. Iris Zeigler. Uh, she's one of the researchers for the Shark Project. And I'm hoping that we can bring her on the show and interview her at some point, you know, in the in the in the not too distant future. So I'm not gonna, you know, dive too deep into this, but some of the takeaways for me were that shark species are not only being targeted. We've all probably heard of, you know, uh, shark fin soup, um, a huge, a huge number of sharks are killed for that. Uh, maybe less of us have heard of shark liver. 
um, sharks being killed for their livers, livers cut out of sharks and then them being dumped back in the ocean. Uh, the, the livers contain not only oils that are considered um, quite uh, valuable, but uh, there's also uh, saline, which is a component of a variety of cancer medications as well as vaccines and is a derivative or sorry as a yeah a derivative um often of shark liver oil so this is um these are all things that sharks are being targeted for but the interesting thing to me which i didn't know before was that actually sharks are primarily being killed as bycatch so this is people are going fishing for something else. So they go fishing for tuna, you go fishing for swordfish, etc., and you are catching sharks because they live in the same kind of environment, same kind of territories. And oh, but you you don't you don't want to catch sharks. So what do you do with the sharks? You dump it overboard, or you you know potentially cut off its fin or cut out its liver dump it overboard but many species like by the time they've been dragged up from the depths sat on board um, of the ship um, in time for them to like look through all the fish and and determine that there's a bunch of sharks in the catch they they've already died so it's primarily the dead bodies of sharks that are being dumped off of the ships which again is just <laughs> incredibly incredibly sad um <clears throat> there uh, is a lot of work being done by Shark Project, really cutting edge and innovative work being done um, in a variety of aspects to enact policy uh, devices, to control fishing gear, fishing practices, to create new forms um, or new uh, ways of driving saline from uh polyunsaturated hydrocarbon um which again like i say is above my pay grade but basically where you're getting it from sources that are not tied to sharks um they're also working on getting cctv cameras placed on board of fishing vessels that have continuously violated rules in regards to bycatch and catching um unsustainable uh, unsustainable fishing practices. So really great project, Shark Project. Check them out. They have a lot of content on their website, which I haven't had the chance to go through all of it yet, but a lot of educational stuff for all ages, including children. Next session I want to touch on is the session which was focused on fisheries, actually. So um, Dr. Andrew Forrest, he's the chairman and co-founder of the Mindaroo Foundation. And he was talking about the future of fishing and talking about how there's a report that his organization is going to be releasing on World Fisheries Day in November. So that's just, you know, a couple months just around the corner. <clears throat> this report is a science-based report which looks at each country and it's quote, going to hold each of the nations on account. Uh, he says they're partnering to develop countries ability to monitor 
the fishing that's taking place within their waters and then to track it and uh, make sure that any sort of regulations that are in place are being followed. If they're not being followed, they know who to, you know, uh, phone up or, um, you know, sometimes send, send, uh, send, uh, hopefully, um, uh, a variety of, of, of <laughs> whoever enforces their environmental laws, um, to meet the boat as it comes back into the port and hold them to account. So, you know, a lot of times there's these questions when you're trying to accomplish a goal like this, a big goal of like, how do we like protect our oceans when most of what happens in them is, you know, far away on these ships, like out in the middle of nowhere where no one can watch them. And so again, this world fisheries report, it's using a variety of technology and um, research and data to, to kind of like track down this information and do a worldwide report card uh, but not just a worldwide one, but actually to drill into each country. Um, he teased a little bit that some of the countries that we think of as quite good are actually rating pretty low on their scorecard. Um, he also uh, said that there's only there's 13 corporations that control nearly 50% of the global ocean catch. They use technology that is you know generally was developed in wartime to you know track down enemy submarines and stuff like that and now we're using it to track down uh fish so we're just fishing at such a crazy um unsustainable level and he said let's change before we have to change and local knowledge and efforts and implementation are important for MPAs, um, marine protected areas, to be successful. So, yeah, just a really, really good presentation. Um, and I'm excited to learn more about that report. <clears throat> of course, we'll share updates with you on the podcast about it. Next presentation, this is the last one that I'll cover before we jump into some quotes. So this one was about MPAs, marine protected areas. Um, I'm going to go through this kind of quickly because, again, I think we'll probably end up doing an episode on this sometime soon. So one of the, the, this was a panel, actually. One of the presenters was from the French government. And she said, you know, France has, you know, around the world, if people think French, France, and you ask them, what, what, you know, how do you think they're managing their oceans? Uh, most people are going to say, oh, it's France. They're probably doing a pretty good job. And yet, only 1.8% of French waters have an MPA plan. So again, the goal is 30%, and they're at 1.8%, not even a tenth of what the goal is by 2030, which is now you know, nine years away. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot of work to be done. And there's okay so yeah that that's just kind of like one aside almost um also she said that while she was taking a tour you know she she put was put in elected or uh, uh placed in this role um to overwatch french waters relatively recently 
And she said, well, she was taking a tour of a French MPA, a trawler, a fishing trawler showed up and started fishing right next to their boat. Even though they're in the area of an MPA, uh, even though there was obviously this other fishing vessel or this, sorry, other ocean vessel there, um, the one she was on. So, you know, th there was potentially someone like that could hold them accountable. They were so brazen as to just start trawling, which is against the laws of that MPA. It's a quite, quite a destructive fishing practice. And it just really hit her that, okay, even though 1.8% of our French waters have MPAs, like if there's no regulation, like why maybe we can't even say 1.8% have it because we're not enforcing anything. And this trawler just shows up right next to us and starts, starts fishing. So again, that's like a, you know, getting back to that term of paper parks and just what it means to actually, you know, have an MPA that, that has a teeth to it, so to speak. Um, there's also people who said the fishermen need to be included in management and control. Fishermen know that there needs to be management and the smaller fishermen especially know that they cannot survive when industrial fishing is taking unsustainable amount of sea life out of the water. So that was something that was said by a gentleman on the panel who um, had a history of working in the fishing industry. I thought it was an interesting uh, sentiment because I think oftentimes it's easy to just think like, oh, fishing is bad and so get rid of all of it and all fishers are bad. And, and yet, you know, like there are livelihoods that depend on fishing. There are certain parts of the world where people's diets depend largely on marine life and you're taking something that's been managed sustainably and done on a scale that was sustainable for so long and then we have these like i said 13 corporations that are taking half of the ocean life sorry half of the life that's taken out of the ocean are taken out by these 13 corporations and you're having these small scale fishermen or fishermen that are like fishing for themselves and maybe you know their their families or their their village uh that are actually um largely on the side of the conservationists and they're like yeah let's stop all these people that are taking all the fish out of the water because i don't have any fish now either and i can't you know feed my family so uh, this was a concept more of looking at maybe the potential of partnering with people who we might not naturally think of as aligned with our values but who are and who have kind of powerful voices um, because they are part of the industry that they are, you know, interested in helping to regulate and provide some rules and guidance for. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, a couple of just different statistics. So uh, currently there are more than 15,000 MPAs that protect 27 million square miles or sorry, 27 million square kilometers, which is about 10.6 million square miles of ocean. Uh, that is nearly 7.5% of the ocean, or about the size of North America. And 
so so that's what they say is under some kind of MPA protection. However, uh, the, there's a more conservative assessment that was done by the Marine Conservation Institute in its Atlas of Marine Protection, which showed that out of that area, only about five. Per, oh no, sorry, out of the oceans, only about five percent, not seven point five percent, are actually managed by true MPAs. So. One out of every three MPAs is a paper park, um, in other words. And that's obviously depressing when we're talking about 10.6 um, million square miles. We're talking about, about 3 million square miles, a huge, huge, huge portion of the ocean that is being, you know, the public hears this is protected, but actually there's no teeth, there's no bite there's no even regulations that um mean anything so it's it's there's a long way to go and again with the goal of 30 percent even if we're going for it like saying even if we're going to give the paper parks uh, a pass right we're at 7.5 percent so we need to increase that by what three four four times three four times that's a long way to go. If it's only 5% that we're going to count, uh, we're going to need to increase that by six, six times. So a lot of work to be done. <laughs> a lot of work to be done. Um, all right. So that wraps up our sessions overview. Now we're going to go to quotes. Uh, the, I, I just have a couple quotes for you. The first is that using technology developed by the most powerful countries in the world for war in order to fish, of course we are winning, but by winning, we are losing. And that was said by Dr. Andrew Forrest, the, again, the chairman and founder of the Minduru Foundation. Uh, the second quote I have for you is, we started with thinking of the ocean as too big to fail. Then we, then we went straight to it's too big to fix. And now we need to start saying it is too big to ignore. So this was by the Norwegian Agency for Development, a gentleman from that organization. That was a pretty interesting way to think about it. Uh, overall thoughts and conclusions. It was really great to see all these people coming together. Um, it reminded me of the importance of conferences because there's many, many moments that I witnessed in real time where someone was presenting about say a science aspect or a financial aspect or you know so, so something that's within their wheelhouse and there'd be someone from a different you know focus also on the ocean but from a different sector and they'd be like oh my gosh i didn't know this was happening and that connects so well with what we're trying to do here and like you just see this happening like in real time over and over again and of course, when we're all in our little bubbles with COVID and in our, you know, like working in our own industries and not having a chance to go to conferences like this, uh, the, the kind of intersectionality, is that a word, uh, doesn't really have a chance to thrive. And so it was cool to see that in action. Uh, so just to, I'm going to wrap up with a couple highlights from tomorrow uh tomorrow um thomas friedman who is a three-time pulitzer prize winner 
He's an economist for the New York Times. He's written extensively on foreign affairs, global trade, the Middle East, globalization, environmental issues. He is going to be doing a presentation. Very excited to see that. Um, there's going to be an update of the red list. So every day they're doing uh, an update on a different species that are on the red list and their status is being updated or they are joining the red list for the first time. Again, the red list is the list which the IUCN, the organization which hosts this conference, uh, puts together. Uh, they basically identify species that are in danger of extinction. And this was, this was cool to hear, actually. So this is some good news. Um, so seven of the most commercially fished tuna species have been reassessed. And four of them, so more than half, <laughs> showed signs of recovery thanks to countries enforcing more sustainable fishing quotas and successfully combating illegal fishing. So that is some good news. Um, their status is, you know, they're getting a little farther away from extinction is basically what we're hearing. So it does show that when efforts are made and regulations are put in place and, you know, rules are enforced and followed, uh, that we can hope for and actually realize improvement. I'm also looking forward to a, a presentation called High Ambition for Protected Areas, Turning Pledges into Action. Another one titled Outcomes of the World Summit on Indigenous Peoples and Nature. We'll dive a little bit deeper into this summit um, in the coming days. Uh, the Nature Plus Accelerator Fund. Uh, which will support projects on the ground. Um, that's, you know, there's a financial uh, kind of stage, I guess, at the conference. And this is one of the presentations there that I'm looking for, that I'm looking forward to. So yeah, that wraps up my reporting for the day. I am getting this out in a pretty raw form. Usually, you know, we try to edit and uh like kind of sum things up a little a little a little faster with a little bit more um effort in the kind of production but i if i didn't get this out tonight like i said the conference starts early in the morning goes till the evening so i don't have a lot of time to edit um <laughs> and if I didn't get this out tonight, I knew I was going to get a day behind and or miss out on, you know, topics that I really wanted to, to be a part of tomorrow. So thank you for joining me. If you're still here with us after 45 minutes, I appreciate it. You are a rock star. And uh, if no one is here but me, then <laughs> at least hopefully some people made it partway through. And I, even if I'm only talking to myself no <laughs> hopefully at least one or two of you made it all the way through mom did you make it all the way through mom come on <laughs> dad uh all right well thank you everyone and this sums up our presentation for the day we'll be back tomorrow i'm going to try to keep it a little bit shorter i'm going to aim for under a half an hour so um it can be a little bit more condensed and thank you again for joining. Have a wonderful day, evening, depending on where you are in the world. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for another edition of the Reef Roundup podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment and subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 
And don't forget to add us on Instagram at Reef Roundup for news about the ocean, inspiring stories, and more. You can also find more about us as well as our guests at reefroundup.com. We release a new episode every two weeks. See See you soon. soon.